Hello. Hi, John. How are you? Hi, Merlin. I'm sorry again. Merlin, man. Mm, I hate being late for things. I know. We were going to meet at 11.11, and now it's 11.25. Yeah. We know this podcast can't be evergreen anymore. Oh, right. Oh, geez. I let let a peek behind the curtain, didn't I? Yeah. Now people realize that it's not happening simultaneously here's, with here's another ears. peak here's another peak okay so a i hate being late for things and i'm sorry and it's all right b computers I fucking hate computers mm-hmm. oh boy now we're on a topic that we both agree on uh you know mm, hmm. I, I i i'm always late to things too we've talked about this many times hmm. you yeah thought it was but you don't take you nine minutes and, and we, we, this is what makes this is what makes this such a compelling uh experience i think for our listeners the people you're helping mm-hmm. is that we are very different people you, know? mm, you and I, yes. Well, I mean, in some ways, we're very different. I'd say we were pretty different. Yeah, but I mean, you know, aren't we like mostly 95, 95% the same as chimps? You and I both are 95% the same as chimps. No, I think it's more than that. I think it's 90, I think it's 97.28. Is that logarithmic six, or, or uh, is that uh, arithmetic? Arithmetic? Was that Aramaic? Is that an, <laughs> on an Aramaic scale? <laughs> on, it's Aramaic. Uh-huh. We are Aramaically... On an Aramaic scale, we are 97.253. Actually, it's Mixolydian. Oh, sorry. I thought we were still in Phrygian time. Phrygian daylight? <laughs> Called the snake charmer time. <laughs> to reset. Hello, I'm Richie Blackmore. It's time to reset your clock. That's not even funny. He doesn't talk. Do you think he talks like that? Is he no, American? I don't think anybody talks like that. The only people that talk like that are community theater people who are... <laughs> Trying to do a British accent. <laughs> my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law directed a lot of plays in Rhode Island. She did. Mm-hmm. Your mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law, who's a pistol. You <laughs> and my mother-in-law. <laughs> that pistol. was. She is a pistol. She <laughs> is. Uh, oh, darling. Uh, um, how, how have we never met your mother-in-law? Oh, she's back. You know, she's back here. She she spent some of her time with family in Florida, and mm-hmm. uh, other times with family around here. So actually, we're going to go see her tomorrow, which is oh, going to well, be nice. Yeah, we need to. Uh, we need to all be in the same place at the same time. She should be a guest. <clears throat> anyway, you know what? A lot of people may not know. Uh, because they have a life and they don't really research these things. Science, but, mm-hmm, science, uh, math. Yeah, a lot of people don't know those things. Everybody likes politics and nobody looks at civics. Can I just put that on a card? Oh my goodness, that's a great C- statement. Mm-hmm. See, that's, when I'm this accused, is kind of a civics podcast. God damn I, it, you're fucking right. This is I, a this is a podcast about how to be a better citizen, according yeah, to us. And and, I, and I'm a little bit offended when I go on mm. iTunes and it says that this is a personal journal podcast. Oh, that was my choice. Would you rather I have it somewhere else? That is. Yeah, civics. Is that a civics category or education, religion? Mm. Hmm. I'll try, you know what? I'm gonna take that all back. I'm gonna cut all that out. Education, civics. personal journal. I don't know that. That just that sounds very. Um, that sounds very. What, what was that? What was that thing that all the kids were doing? Live journal. Live journal. That's where I learned about you. Yeah, I know. That's where people talk about stuff. I never joined. It. I had a photograph of you before I had any idea who you were. You're holding snacks. You're not alone. Mm. Hmm. Uh, hmm. People have photographs of me. Yeah. Because I because I'm an archetype. I represent a certain kind of. Approachable, cuddly bear. Yeah, you. Yeah, like Approachable a s- and statue, crossing a statue and a teddy bear. Lovable, statuesque teddy bear. Vagina dentata. A cross between a gazelle and a catfish. Mm. Hmm. Is that good eating fish? Uh, that, that's just a that, gazelle that, fish. That's really more of a description of a baseball wife. I've seen uh, Richard Hugo used to write about gazelle fish. The silvery uh-huh. blue gazelle fish in the gazelle fish gevelton. <laughs> you know what? Here's the point. The, there's an image. Excel, Excel fish gevelton. <laughs> That's another one of those great unmade Nazi Jerry Lewis movies. 
<laughs> Gavelton Fish and Hugo with the making it Boeing. I um here's the thing: what people may not realize, this is an audio presentation, but there is an image that is associated with our visits that I think you've seen before. So it's a little logo for this show. Mm. Do you remember what that's from? Mm-mm. Um, it's a picture of you with some really creepy looking glasses and me with a bad haircut looking at you. And I took a photograph with my feature phone, they call it my, my flip phone in mm-hmm. about 2000, flip phone. Four, 2005. And it's a photo of, of, of you and me at the UCSF computer store. Cause my lady got a discount there and we oh. were, we went, we bought you a computer that day. That's a photograph oh, right. of a, of a camera taking a picture of us on a screen. And I took a photo of it for no particular reason. Oh, that was the early days of, of, uh, computers that could take photographs of you. No, no, this was my phone. Fo- oh yeah. 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 So there's, yeah, you're right. correct. Laptops, yeah. laptops that had a camera facing you. It might've been like a security cam, like a webcam, like a creepy oh. underwear cam. Mm-hmm. Cause Hmm. Now when we, so we went in there and we got you, uh, a laptop. A, a laptop computer. And then yeah. that was... Uh, Which I still have to this day. Yeah, but it's all dead now, right? Oh, no. I mean, it still it still works. It's just over in the corner because I, right. I got an iPad. Yeah. God. You like it? Well, I do like it, but I don't like to advertise things. I understand, but you have, big, you, you have really big fingers. You remember during... You, I do. You remember during, the, uh, during the, the 90s when bands would put a piece of black electrical tape over the... Fender logo on their guitars because they didn't want to be advertising. Yeah, you can't tell that's a Fender. Exactly. <sighs> oh, what kind of guitar is that? Oh, hmm, oh I can't I see. see the it's, name on the headstock. It has that headstock that's literally a fucking trademark of Fender. <laughs> uh, nobody can tell. But uh, I hate to, uh, I hate uh, to yeah, say Yeah, it's a Jaguar. I'm driving a Jaguar, but I put black tape over the little fucking cat. It's a Les Paul, but, uh, but it's, yeah. I did that with my camera. Well, you put a piece of black electrical tape over the word Casio? Well, I read about this, and at first I thought it was a douche thing. And then I thought it was kind of smart and cool, and now I think it might be a douche thing, but it's still kind of cool. So, is, this, you know, is this not using shaving cream so the Viet Cong can smell you? The, it's, you know what? Can I just say? It is almost exactly that. Not really, <laughs> but kind of almost exactly that, which is I've got an okay, nice camera. Like, you know, I don't use as much now that I've got uh, the same brand of... An iPad? Uh, eh, you know, taking pictures with an iPad. You might as well wear a fucking fanny pack. You like such a dick taking a picture with an iPad. I, I see these dads running around the playground and, I'm you wearing know, a fanny pack right now. They look like they're making the world's saddest independent student film. Yeah. You know, you know what's sad? Dads. Dads are sad. He, Helio Aristotle, look over here. Shut up. So anyway, you put a piece of tape over your camera. So I have that. an okay, nice camera. I have I have a, an SLR like f- heavy. It's camera. a Trump. It's a Trump camera, isn't it? It's it's a camera oh, that's it's Trump camera. My friends who are nerds disagree. I think it's more camera than I will ever need in my whole life. Because my old camera that I loved a lot got stolen, and I bought this one a couple years ago for my birthday. I bought it for myself. So anyway, it's it says it says that it's a uh, it doesn't matter if it's a Canon because only you know only faggots use Nikon's. So it doesn't matter. But um, the front of it has the word Canon on it. Yeah. And a number of whitish things. Okay, how about this, John Roderick? Whitish I, I, things. You know, I know you know this. We, we've, dis- I'm pretty sure we've discussed this. Yeah. Do you know about the style of camouflage that they would paint onto? I don't get the terminology wrong. Warships that Americans. <laughs> it's oh. an incredibly disorienting. Right. Can you describe it? Because it's very angular and it makes it very, I don't want to spoil the ending, but it makes it very difficult from a distance to see what kind of ship it is. And if they're in a group, like potentially how many there are, right? Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's gray and white and like 
very very diffuse colors and giant trapezoids painted on the sides of these ships you know it's it's like a, right. a, a, a like a, a mondrian painting i was just gonna say but with some weird diagonals thrown in right, diagonals, where you'd never yeah. expect them it's a little bit like when somebody tries to make an escher cube in real life mm-hmm. you know what i mean you ever see those kinds of things they're really sad we no like, one expects a battleship mondrian hmm, let me get that it's true <laughs> our primary weapon mondrian is surprise mondrian i think he's a little over you know, all modern art is overrated. I okay. went to that that Los Angeles uh, <clears throat> MoCA Museum of Modern Art, MoMA, MoMA. I went to it and I walked around and you know, and there's they got the Jasper Johnses and they got the this is in the that's and I'm Jasper John drew 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 flags on on wood. A lot of flags on a lot of flags on plywood, but all it's you know it's a museum of modern art. They had they had they had one of everybody. And I know that as a as a cultured person, as a public intellectual, I'm supposed to be walking really around as a public this, figure. As a public figure, but mm-hmm. all, but but not just a public figure. I mean, Lady Gaga's a public figure. I'm a public intellectual. Hmm. Okay. I find modern art to be a thought crime. Okay, just really quickly, <laughs> I I'm going to put that over here in the very very special pile to just get this out of the way because it's yeah. not that interesting and I want to be done with it. Right. I heard that one good way to keep your camera from being like quickly stealable. Uh-huh. This is going to sound crazy. It's like the battleships though. You take some uh, gaffers tape, yeah. which unlike duct tape is, you know, a matte tape and it's not as like, you know, scarringly permanent. Right. And you just take little bits of this tape and you put it over the logo, but you also put it over any like non-black piece of the front of your camera. Now two uh-huh. things happen. This sounds crazy, but I swear to God, it's like the battleships. If you saw me across a room and I don't have a strap also because that's right. how I roll. It just but, looks like a piece of junk camera made out of tape. It doesn't even look like a camera. It doesn't here's the thing, John. This is the thing about why I say it's like a battleship. It doesn't read as a camera. What? You what situate cameraness and SLR so much by that logo where the flash thing could should be. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And those little th- I'm telling you. So it, it just looks like a black pop cam that you're holding up to. If your you eye. really looked carefully at it, you would see it's a camera, but it does not stick out like these idiots downtown with their little fucking cannons with the plastic lenses on it. Grow oh, up, get a decent lens. Oh, interesting. So and that's why I did that. But now <clears> now here's the other thing. Here's what's cool about that. If you are gonna try and be take photos on the slide guy who's usually a dick yeah. like you are much less likely upskirt up, up photos at no 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 I, my mom always used to tell me she used to worry about mirrors on shoes you ever heard of mirrors on shoes that's uh, yeah that's old technology it's all it's all it's all iphones up the skirt now everything's a uh, fiber now i have a good friend that uh, caught some guy taking a picture up his girlfriend's skirt in um in a costco and he beat the shit out of the guy right in the costco <laughs> yeah 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 just like because he was walking he was you know he was 15 feet behind or whatever and his lady was up ahead and this guy swoops in and with the phone like up the skirt and mm-hmm. <laughs> and wow. my buddy just did a flying like a flying tackle no really yeah took this guy right out and and then big big brawl in the costco and the and the, <laughs> the creep was trying to break his phone and jeez and it was a it was a whole a uh, whole to do Wow, but, that value pack of punches. Yeah, it's one of my. It's one of the great stories. Japanese men seem to seem to like. Um, well, they like really dirty things for their own sake. It strikes me they're mm-hmm. like dirty, just dirtiness as a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like the upskirt thing is maybe they're just the largest producers of this. Maybe it's like well, China. It's, China. Uh, they, they have. They are very comfortable with fetishizing uh, youth, young people. Yes, the schoolgirl uniforms. Yeah, and so the upskirt photo is, a, is I think is a side is an adjunct of the like little girl sort of panty fetishism. 
Hmm. That is so popular in Asia. Well, to not me, that's to be part of the dirtiness, though, is that I'm really not supposed to have this. You can't just walk out and go with, like, you know, hi, is there a vending machine where I can blow a baby? You can't say things like that. But you can, like, buy panties from a machine. Is that correct? Have you heard this? You can buy panties. Well, you know, here in America, you can get panties online. You can buy used panties online. Using your computer. Using your computer. They will come up. I'm sure you can get them next day air. I had someone offer to buy my shoes once. No. Kind of caught me off guard. Yeah. You know, the, the, uh, the, the guitar player of the presidents of the USA, his shoes are, his, his old shoes that he spray painted gold are at the EMP. They're one of the displays that you, you pay $25 to go walk around and look at. Did, did, like, did Paul Allen pay to acquire those? You know, when, that, when they were first opening the EMP, it seemed like they had billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, they did have billions of dollars. But, they, but what it seemed like at the time was that the grunge movement was going to be just as famous and earth-shattering as every rock movement that had come before it. Right. And so here was, here was an opportunity for people to buy, basically to buy Elvis's shoes, right? If you could go back right. in time and buy, buy Elvis's shoes or buy Jimi Hendrix's shirt... Like a broken strat. ...from those guys mm-hmm. for, you know... You, uh, for twenty five bucks or whatever, wouldn't you it. do it? And so it was. It was a little too soon after the grunge years, and all these guys were still standing around, and a lot of them didn't have any money anymore. And they opened up this <laughs> rock museum, and, and, and it was they, like a goodwill. Guys, yeah, just, guys, just absolutely. shut up. Like, you want to you want to buy my works? <laughs> they said. They said. Well, it's it's not that they showed up. It's like uh, EMP sent fifty people out into the city, like going knocking on practice space doors and saying, "Hey, you guys got any?" Uh, can we buy your old guitar, your broken guitar that's over there in the corner? You know, you look over and there's some $25 thrift store guitar. Like, sure. <laughs> How know. about that tube screamer? It doesn't work. I don't care. <laughs> 2000 bucks, you know, and they were just throwing it down. So the EMP has a, has a, a huge warehouse full of all this crap that, belong to these also ran bands it does kind of it sounds it sounds like a sad goodwill it's incredible it's i mean it's truly amazing like they bought Soundgarden's van their their four old ford van is it interesting not at all no what what Soundgarden should have done and and in any other situation would have done is sold that van for five hundred dollars to some fledgling band who drove it until it and caught on fire, and then it would be sent to the crusher, mm-hmm. and it would survive only in photographs, and and that is how history is made. But but in fact, this van is preserved in a hermetically sealed warehouse somewhere in Seattle, <laughs> on the off chance mm-hmm. that forty five years from now, somebody's like, "Oh man, Soundgarden's van." It's worth a fortune. I'm just imagining the docents who work there, who probably have very thin bones and large glasses, and they have to walk by and go, you know, this is pretty much a blue band van, but we're pretty sure Kim Thale peed in here at one point. That's yeah. that's all we know. Yeah, it's not. It's you know, I don't. It, it may be too early to say, but I'm I'm going to say that it's that it's never going to be Elvis's shoes. You know what I mean? No, totally. And you know, part of it is now you're you know how how markets work, right? I mean, it's it's beyond supply and demand. It's you know. The, the whole diamond racket, the way that works is that they deliberately produce only so many to keep it kind of scarce. 
Right. So in this case, you're not even trying to make scarcity out of diamonds. You're making scarcity out of like Kleenex boxes. Right. You know, and I think when hard times come, you know, some, what did I just read about? Some, what did some museum just acquire something really squirrely? Um, and I forget what it is. But, you know, the thing is, if you fall on hard times, it becomes like, like trading, uh, trading pogs or Pokemons. Hi, yeah. I'm 45. <laughs> <laughs> Remember pogs? It's like trading, trading Pokemons. <laughs> Yeah. I don't even know what Pokemon is. I know it's a card game with angular yeah, you animals. Trade them, you trade them, and that's right. It's no, it's like Beanie Babies. People invested a lot that's, of money in Beanie. Just like the tulips, exactly yeah. Beanie Babies, and then it got so big, it was like the tulips. Everybody was buying. And I wonder what. No, hmm. I went to a. Hmm. I went to a uh, one of these uh, estate sales one time, and walking through this house, and in the back of the house, there's an entire bedroom. Just full of beanie babies, oh, like they've built rat. They've built uh, giant industrial strength uh, shelves and bins and bins and bins of beanie babies. Oh my god! Were they, were, they, know, were they nicely displayed, or was it? No, just... no, no, no. I mean, uh, it was a, it was a it was clearly a hoard. It was less oh, a collection and god. more of a hoard. And these people, because it was an estate sale, obviously they were old people, mm-hmm. and they had hoarded these beanie babies, thinking. That that they were going to be uh, worth a ton of money, you yeah. know. Uh, this was their retirement. This uh, this room. There were ten thousand beanie babies in there. You know that phrase, uh, sunk cost fallacy. You ever heard mm-hmm. that term? Mm-hmm. And they they use it a was lot. Was that in the tipping point? You keep sending me these books about economics and what? 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 what, what <laughs> wait a minute! Wait a minute! Hang on. <laughs> what? Hey, what? You, you sent me what? No, I'm like the opposite of that guy now. No, I'm suspicious of that guy. The guy. tipping point guy. Oh God! You were you were his high. You were an evangelist. No, of him. just just you hang on one minute. Right. You know what? I want to get back to public intellectuals and art. Did you know that there's only one place in America where diamonds? Turns out. <laughs> that's my phrase that sums up everything I fucking hate about this stuff is some guy gets up there and goes turns out and like he's like he's just discovered something amazing mm-hmm. like you know and it comes oh, out of you some know what bullshit this is? You're study mad at the TED talks oh brother I'm gonna tell you a funny I can, story I'm I can gonna tell, tell you I can tell right now that you are mad at TED talks I'm gonna tell you a funny story I can't tell you on the program but it's 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 pretty fun here's the thing now yes you are correct I do Did try they ask to, you to do a TED talk no, they haven't. And Hodgman kept kept saying he was going to try and get me in there, and he never did. Yeah, I, you know, I would do that for him. You know, well, it's harder than it looks to yeah. get people in there because you know it's all deranged billionaires in there. It's a good point. It's a good point. You know, and now people like they go to the TED or what's the other? One? What's that? What's that big douchey one? The um in like Switzerland, the Davos. Oh, Davos. Yeah. Jesus Christ! They let anybody in there. Yeah. You know, a friend of mine. A friend of mine wanted to ask a question one time at TED. Uh, who's actually really smart and makes stuff? She's like she wanted she's, to ask. She wanted to ask a well, question. She wanted, she, they, it was during like a time when people could could make remarks about something, and she oh. got totally cock blocked by Cameron Diaz. Ah, oh. her question. This is my friend who's made a company that makes products I used to use on your site, for example. Like she made something really important, and like she and she got cut, totally cut off for Cameron Diaz to get up there. And I don't know. I, maybe I'm I, not I, a fan of Cameron Diaz. Oh, we've talked say. about this. This is problematic. Yeah. Um, anyway, about the diamonds. You can't. The problem is, I think when your museum falls on hard times, or even if you're just trying to get a new pog, you can do things like trades, like assuming that you don't have a bunch of Nazi art somebody wants back. You've mm-hmm. got things and you hold it. Like if you've got, you know, say what you will about Andy Warhol. It was, it was kind of an interesting project. You know, if you've got, uh, you discover you've got, you used to scratch off uh, some paint, you discover you got a Van Gogh or something, you hang on to that, you trade it. I'm just saying, I don't think, I don't think there's that much currency in the Beanie Babies of the Grunge era. That's not going to retain their value. 
No, but yeah. I, you know, I honestly I feel that way about about all modern art. Okay, let's go. <laughs> but I'm, but I'm afraid. Can I just be clear? Contemporary art or modern art? Where where where's your line for this? Oh yeah, I'm gonna say any art made after nineteen. Okay. I, you know what? I'm a fan of Jackson Pollock. I will say Can I ask that. just one informational question? And this is sure. not in any way to guide the discussion, as you know. But do you have any fucking idea what you're talking about? Or should I just be prepared to nod along as you talk out of your ass? <laughs> you know, I got into a huge argument at the University of Washington. <laughs> That's not really time. an answer. <laughs> Which is that, you know, if you go, to, if you go around Europe, there are, uh, there, are, there are monuments to World War II all, all around Europe, and as you can imagine. And, there are, and it's not just burned buildings and destroyed churches. There are monuments that artists have made. And uh, there are monuments to World War I also all over Europe. In Flanders Fields. They're very into that in Canada. They are. They were, well, they were poppies. So the, the monuments to World War I are invariably uh, uh, very tall obelisks that have uh, a bunch of figures arrayed around the base. Uh, generally, some uh, some guys uh, heroically holding up their bayonets, or uh, some you know some nurses tending to the wounded. Uh, maybe uh, the big monuments have like some horses on them. Some guys, maybe somebody's holding a holding their rifle aloft. Um, you know, they're like monuments that have been made to war for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. There's there's somebody in a tricornered hat holding his sword up and an obelisk. And it says, to our glorious... You're, celib- you're, honoring, you're honoring the sacrifice in a very dignified way of these people who... Yeah. Now, in general, World War II monuments around Europe and in America <laughs> tend to be a giant stone donut on some kind of ellipse and uh, with, uh, with no words on it, or if there are some words on it, you know, it's it's uh, some like something obscure in Latin, and uh, and and this donut, this stone donut, or a stone egg, uh, it became this motif for World War II monuments because uh, because the the world's mind had been infected with the with the the uh, the plague of modern art, mm-hmm. and it was thought that this donut better represented the sacrifice of. However, forty million people died in the war. That it was so. That was such an incredible war, and there were so so many lives lost that we could not represent those lives figuratively. The only thing so we that made could, this large granite egg. The only thing that could do it. The only thing that could capture our imagination right. was this was a giant donut, and and Holocaust monuments are even worse because it's it's even more inconceivable what happened in the Holocaust. Right, and so the donut is even more. Like generally, a Holocaust monument is a fractured donut, right? A donut that's been that's like got a crack in it. Oh, but it could be. In that case, you're moving into a more heavy-handed kind of abstract nonsense. Right. Exactly. It's abstract nonsense, but they couldn't really let the abstraction live on its own, and so they had to put a crack in it because they they had a little bit a little bit of actual realistic symbolism in it. And I, so I'm walking walking around Europe all these years. And I came back to the University of Washington. And I was like. I was in some seminar and I stood up and I said, "Modern art is crap. <laughs> all all modern art is crap." And as Exhibit A, I submit this slideshow of World War II Holocaust donuts that, <laughs> that I find personally offensive. I find they do not they do not symbolize the war. They do not honor the dead. You sure it's not a bagel? 
Oh, that's a terrible thing to say. No, I'm... I'm pretty sure it's not a fractured bagel. Uh, yeah. Okay, so then you get to Vietnam, and what did they get? They got, like, what, was it a big, like, letter V? They got, a, they got a black letter V in a lawn, but at least it has names on it. Now, see, how do you feel about letters and, and words? I, I, like I, I think, you know, I think this started with fucking Philadelphia and the big love sculpture. People mm. fell back in love with words. There's a phrase I try to avoid. I actually used it yesterday. You're yes- talking about words as art. Well, words as as way to basically provide a giant footnote for what the fuck the thing means. Mm-hmm. If you get a, if you bit a, if you get a guy, not a pieta exactly, but the the war version of a pieta, a World War One pieta, you mm-hmm. get like a, a guy in one of those identifiable World War One helmets, like holding up holding his buddy as he dies. Right, that's incredibly fucking moving. Can be if it's sculpted well, and it does not need in in like giant Times New Roman have to say sacrifice on it. Oh, right, exactly. Well, that is the problem with World War I monuments, is that they, that they actually go around and every panel says loyalty or yeah. fidelity. In World War I, you say? Well, yeah, but I mean, all, all those, I mean, all, 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 all figurative art. You know how reluctant I am to talk about the Holocaust, but I'm going to send you a link here in the robot. Um, and this is, this is actually, you know, uh, I, I, I'm going to write this down. I'm going to come back to this phrase, the exception that proves the rule, because I think that might not make any sense. This is, I assume, some exception that proves some rule. This is a place that I've been in Miami that is really moving and incredibly fucking scary and freaky. Mm. Are you there? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is called the Holocaust Memorial of the Greater Miami Jewish Federation. And it is, it's, it's weirdly well done, and it is super duper creepy. Yeah. So you can see the primary figure is a, I don't know how many feet, would you say probably about a 30 foot high? 30 foot high, human arm hand with out an of arm. The and the arm is like from the wrist to what would be the elbow, is, is just all like desperate, skinny people clinging. Mm. And wouldn't you say that's pretty horrific? I mean, it, it gets it gets to the flavor. It gets to the flavor. But then there's also like these frozen figures there, almost like Pompeii. Now, I don't know. I, I, it's so emotional that like I can see why you would do that there. It, but I mean, in that case, I mean, that's this this gives you a sense. Uh, it, it, I don't know if you'd say abstract in an abstract way, but that, that's very emotionally compelling. What I worry about is the, in a way that a donut is not. No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, you. Mm, you I'm just saying, like, if you get too abstract with this stuff and you get in, you get into the donuts and, and the eggs and, and the Vs, I, I don't know. And then you had a water feature. I mean... Oh, yeah. Uh, water feature is nice. Do you like water features? Well, water feature reflects the donut in the sky and it causes you to really, really think about it. Oh, I see. Whereas the donut was causing you to reflect and think about it. Then you see it reflected in the pool and you're like, oh, right. Wow. Have, you to, have you been to Washington, D.C.? Yes. Um, <laughs> I have been to Washington, D.C. Well, all you, you always fucking talk about the Baltics in Romania. It I've been like, to all 50 it states. It sounds like... Okay, I've been John. to every metropolitan area okay, in all the All right, America. Hank Snow. I get it. I've I'm never aware, man. Me and my little dog drove around in my camper truck and saw everything in America. <laughs> this sounds like an NBC show from 1978. <laughs> I am Charles Keralt. No, like, uh, have, what, what was you know, your dog's I've, name? Was it like Fluffy or Cute Cute? What was it called? <laughs> Roderick and the Dog? I have been... <laughs> did you have a truck? I've been everywhere, man. Boston it, and St. Clair, did man. Did you know that he is from Canada? Who? Hank Snow, the man who wrote, I think wrote, and sings that song. And he's you know, the, a lot he's, of great Americans are from Canada. Some of our best Americans are truly from Canada. It would be very surprising. Yeah. You know who's from Canada? Sloan. The band Sloan is from Canada. Uh. 
Um, Alexis, uh, there are a lot of great Americans from hands. from Canada, and and I, I, you know, when I meet someone from Canada, I don't hold it against them because not, not immediately they could be they could be a great American for all I know. Yeah, their money doesn't make a lick of sense. What, um, Canadian money? Well, you know what? I like the coins, though. I have to tell you, I like a toonie. I like I like a coin. I, Here's what I used to love about Canadian money: yeah. it was uh, it was super cheap. And you oh, could, dude! First time I was there it was a dollar. It was dollar sixty six American to yeah. uh, to a loonie. And here's what I hate about uh, Canadian money now. It mm. isn't super cheap. It's it just, the, it, it feels really fucked up that they're doing as well as us. It's really bad. Isn't that wrong? Super depressing. They're nice people, though. They're super nice people. Well, here's the reason I asked. Oh, and I'd like there to, are a lot of serial killers up there. No, really? Yeah. Huh. You didn't know about those two guys in Vancouver that uh, owned a pig farm and they, and they, uh. Was it a lady pig? Uh. uh <laughs> Were they doing lady pig stuff? No, no, no. It wasn't lady pigs. They would have big parties out at their pig farm where they would invite all the prostitutes from Vancouver and then they would do bad things as serial killers do and they would kill these girls and then feed them to the pigs. And then... Uh, is this in British, then, British Columbia? Yeah, no, it was in Vancouver, yeah. And then they would sell the bacon back to the... To the, to the un, this sounds like a Roger Corman of, movie. There's no way that is real. Yeah, the, they, they like the... the um, the unknowing citizens of Vancouver were eating their, because you know in Canada, of course, they have seven flavors of bacon. Oh, the bacon's good. They eat hooker bacon. Well, this is hooker bacon. They had they, they were selling hooker bacon to them for for years because because the because prostitutes were disappearing off the streets of Vancouver for years. Doesn't it and, seem like once you saw like Mimi go into a van and not come back, like you would think twice about going into a van with a bunch of I mean, well, these creeps and these guys were creeps too. They were you, you uh, just look at them and you knew they were creeps. Uh, but they would have these huge parties, these huge like prostitute parties, <laughs> prostitute junkie parties out at their pig farm. So it started out fun. Oh, I think for a lot of people, it was all, it was always fun. But so so one person doesn't make it back. <gasps> oh, I get it. You're you're okay. So I'm sorry. I apologize. I thought it was like pump chili. I thought they came into some shoot because they thought it was a party. They drop through a tiger trap and they end up in some uh, hooker bacon. You're saying that a lot of times you go and you have fun. You bring your friends back. It's like a pyramid scheme. Yeah, right. You're like, oh man, there's all these all these drugs and there's lots of hookers and we go out to this pig farm and it's a blast and then everybody else goes home Ugh. except for one hooker yeah, doesn't right. make it back and then each time but nobody ever puts it together because in Vancouver they were adopting the policy of let's pretend that hookers don't exist. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. For a long time they had that policy. Now I think they have the whole like, oh, we're watching our hookers now. Because we lost oh, so many. This is awful. You know what? You're not making this up. No, no, it's terrible. It's this a, wasn't very long ago. And the thing, and 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 and, uh, and you know, the Northwest likes to produce serial killers, and so these guys in Vancouver and the Green River Killer were operating somewhat. There wasn't a ton of overlap, but they were both out roaming around at the same time. And uh, there's there's some question about whether there was ever a, whether they knew each other or I mean I don't know. I don't know. There's you think that's a zeitgeist? Is it a zeitgeist or a mass hysteria or just that we've got better reporting tools? Uh, well, doesn't it seem like we go through times where there's suddenly like you know for example turns out supposedly there's a lot fewer <laughs> child abductions today than there were in the 40s per capita. Mm, it's just mm. that it's heavily like overreported. I don't know if that's accurate, but in this case it seems like we had a real golden age of uh, of brutal serial killers in the last like 60 years. When was that Gene? Was he the 50s, 60s? Yeah, 50s I think. You know, the two I, I, used to tour Ed Gein's car. You can go see Ed Gein's car. There was a band by that At the name. EMP? <laughs> 
what would it take to know that Paul Allen has finally gone too far? <laughs> it's the it's the Experience Music Project and Science Fiction Museum and Serial Killer Warehouse. He wants something like the Mütter Museum, but like much more personal. Something well, really. I, I wonder about this uh, about the whether whether there were always. Uh, I mean, clearly there were always serial killers and mass murderers, right? But whether or not. I, I kind of think that in, I mean, Jack the Ripper being one example, he was very public, but mm-hmm. if you owned a pig farm in 1805 mm. and you were abducting hookers, which obviously there were hookers in 1805 because it is the oldest profession. Pig farming? No, hookering. Okay. Um, you could always go find uh, hookers and there were always pig farms. And the temptation's always there probably. Well, well, no, I'm just saying, like, you, you, you have a lot to take care of on a pig farm. You have slopping, mm-hmm. you have de-slopping, you have watering, you have barn. Oh, I thought you were talking about the, uh, on, the, on the bell curve of human uh, Well, I'm just saying, uh, farmers, farmers are busy. They got a lot to do. They don't have time to run into town and get a People magazine. They got to really think it through. They got to have something that's going to have longevity. And I'm just saying, I, I don't want to be, you know, uh, insensitive here, but I'm just saying, if you can improve your bottom line by throwing some sex workers into your meat. I mean, I would I would never do that. That's that's oh, you're, wait a minute, you're saying that the, that some of their motivation might be that it was cheap pig food. I never studied anything agrarian. I don't know much about it. I'm, yeah, uh, I think it was much more that I think it was. Uh, I think that feeding it to the pigs was an afterthought. They did that on Deadwood. You know what's yeah, weird about this? That. I'm reading about Robert just for, for our for our listeners who don't have the internet. It's Robert Picton, also mm-hmm. known as the Pig Farmer Killer. Hmm. Uh, he's a uh, he's a uh, he, farmer killer. I sure got that pretty close, didn't I? Yeah, I think that's a um, <laughs> I think it's a big black album. Um, and so he's sixty two now. He's uh, he's still he's still doing fine. He's in for life. Now here's what's interesting: his number of victims six to forty nine. That's Between a big that's a big 49. spread. Six to forty nine is a big fucking spread. Hmm. There could be st- still be some bacon out there. That is fucked up. That is yeah. so fucked up. Oh, but I don't see. I don't know. I don't know much about the 1800s. Uh, yeah, I, and and farmers in general. Today's far, farming seems very scientific, it, you know. But back then, you know, I, I think you put a lot more of yourself into it, and, and potentially your prostitutes. Well, this is the thing. They, they in the old days, like you would have, uh, you you'd, you'd clear a hundred acres, mm-hmm. right, and then you'd have you'd have uh, three sons, and one of them you'd send to the army. Well, let's say you'd had five sons. One of them you send to the army. A lot of them would lose a limb. Let's one be of them, Let's well, be somebody's honest. gonna. A couple of them are gonna die, mm-hmm. right? Sure. <clears throat> one of them is the the gay one is gonna become a priest, and uh, and then you've got a couple sons, and so you, you had a hundred acres. Now you have to you give each son fifty acres, and the you know the daughters <laughs> like who who knows what happens to them? They marry somebody. Yeah, she sleeps in the barn. Move away. Yeah. So then you two sons have fifty acres. Then those guys have five sons, and they send the gay ones into the ministry and the and one to the army, and but eventually the, their farms get split up and. Uh, pretty soon everybody's got 20 acres and then everybody's got five acres, mm. you know, uh, uh, four or five generations down the road, everybody's trying to make a living off of these, uh, these little, little cut up little teeny farms. And, uh, and, and that's kind of the, that's the Portland, Oregon model, right? Mm-hmm. If you had five acres in Portland, Oregon, you'd be the king of the town because you'd be making artisanal pigs and you'd be feeding them artisanal prostitutes or whatever mm-hmm. it is that happens down there. Small batch, they call it. But a small batch, right. Small batch. Uh, sex workers. Uh, hook, hooker I think the term is sex, sex worker. <laughs> but um, but uh, so then uh, industrialized farming came in and they, and, they, and they took all these farms. They bought them all cheap. Mm-hmm. And then they, they took all the fences down and then they just had, have robots making food now. Well, most of the call girls are from India. 
Yeah, right. Literally and, call, now you literally call them in Bangalore. It's much more expensive to fly them over and feed them to pigs than it well, is to... Well, they buy them VoIP, which uh, voice over IP, which helps a lot. <laughs> um, they can talk to the pigs and... My name is Sandra. I am enjoying volleyball. Uh, hooker bacon. Uh, here's the thing. I, I want to go in uh, two directions, if I may, John. I want to get back to this, uh, uh, your art problem. If, do you mm. want to pass on? Should we move past that? Should, should no, no, go? no. I'll, I'll talk about uh, what, uh, what a thought crime modern art is all day. I mean, I know I'm just antagonizing people, but that's really one of my favorite things to do. Well, starts, I do want to starts... talk about this diamond mine in Arkansas, though. You got me thinking about diamonds. I don't, I don't know anything about that. Arkansas has got a diamond mine? Well, that's the only place in America where there's a diamond mine. It's in Arkansas, and you can actually go there and sift through the rocks yourself. Like, like, like you go to the museum and look for geodes? Yeah, or you go pan for gold in the Yukon at the pan for gold <laughs> museum. Um, but you can go to this Arkansas diamond mine. Is the and- four represented by a numeral four? Pan, pan for gold? <laughs> Pan four gold, pan, dig four diamonds. <clears throat> but apparently, some very recently, some guy discovered a six carat yellow diamond. Six carats is a lot of carats. Yeah, at this uh, like at this uh, search search for yourself uh, diamond mine in Arkansas. Six Look, carat, it's, but it's like diamond. a jokey. It's like pick your own apples kind of shit, and he finds a fucking so. six carat diamond. I think so. Holy shit! That, that really that changes the whole revenue model. It's not about selling t-shirts and marmalade anymore. You're going to move some fucking rock. I'm thinking uh, every tour I do from now on, we're going to route through Arkansas and spend a day at the at the diamond mine there. Try and pay for the whole, pay for the record. You you know, you could probably run some basic figures. You could do a Microsoft, Microsoft Excel computer thing. You could probably figure out, like, what, what the chances are. A show might get canceled. A guy with a cigar in the back peeling off $100 bills might try and fuck you. you you're you're going to have to balance that. That happens in the entertainment business. You, if you, it seems to me you have a very small band and people keep quitting. But if you got enough people, if you got, like, what, like Donkey, you got one of those, like, 10-person bands. Or, you know, like uh, what, what the one with the Andrew Bird guy. Remember that? The, uh, remember yeah, the yeah. big band band? They were good. Did you ever see them? What were they called? Red Hot, Red Hot Chili Peppers? What were they called? Yeah, they, they they were uh, they were really good. The, uh, Skillet, the squirrel, squirrel nut zippers. Oh, nut they were zippers. fucking great. Here's and, the thing, here's the thing know, about a ten. Here's person the thing about band. diamond mining. <laughs> if you have a ten person band, you literally need to mine diamonds. Oh, I just don't to keep need everybody in macro. I don't know how people smokies. This is this is why you look at people like Billy Bragg and Jonathan Colton. You go that that's why those guys have so much dough. They're right, not, right. They go in. They get called a backline. You go in yeah. there and there's already stuff there. They got a PA. You can plug right in. Billy Bragg. Last time I saw him, he was flying a white helicopter. They don't make white helicopters. White helicopter was it's like a it was when a you fly a red helicopter, iPhone, iPhone branded. <laughs> but, uh, but a white a white helicopter. Yeah, yeah, because he's you know he's 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 raking it in. He's making the making the big dollars. Yeah, if you sing if you sing if you sing songs about socialism long enough, you're going to make some serious coin. I've heard yeah. you have to put out three albums or three books before you make serious money. Or three, three uh, well about socialism. Before three you albums can, about before socialism. you can. Before or three you books about socialism. Right. Then, right, you're, right. then you're rolling in the dough. Yeah, and then Johnny Marr starts calling you. Nothing wrong with that. Well, um, I, I, you contrast that with the arcade fire. Everybody thinks, oh, these guys are making a ton of cash, but there's uh, 15 people on stage. I literally beg you not to mention them again. <laughs> they have to pay for the hurdy-gurdy tuner. They have to pay for the... Oh, they got to get their, their helmets tuned for the drumming. They got to get a helmet tuner. By the time it's all done, those people are making like 15 grand a year each. Oh, the math on this... Don't don't get me on the Steve Albini. Six carats is one point two grams. Uh, it, it's about uh, it's uh, uh, just about the half the mass of a penny. But but in diamond terms, that's pretty big. You put that on a ring. Oh you, yeah. You're not going to do dishes in that. That's a fucking big. Can you have a six carat ring? Put, oh yeah, you can have a six carat ring. All those baseball wives that look like half gazelles, half catfish, have them. No, the French manicures. 
Yeah, yeah, that's how you that's how you tell a baseball wife. Six carat diamond ring. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. That's a lot of carrots. Okay, so anyway, and Arkansas. So they they thought this was going to be a jokey diamond dust industrial because most diamonds are used in industry because you can't get a big full one, right? You use them for for nail files and stuff, right? Yeah, you use them for uh, for those big uh, underground uh, tunneling machines that make the channel, for instance. Like a big one of those big like screws in a cartoon. Yeah, the big the big screw in a cartoon that's digging under that's digging through the the wall of the underground bank. You know, my grandfather comes from diamond people. No, really? He's from, you come uh, from Diamond People, British Guiana. He, wow, he grew up like he grew up like within uh, within Kool Aid throwing distance, well, technically flavor aid of Jonestown. What would become Jonestown? He's from uh, yeah, British Guiana. His family uh, they're, they're colonists from London. My, my yeah. grandfather is English, yeah. but uh, they lived in British British Guiana. Wow, yeah. wow, what an unusual place to go! What an unusually uh, malaria prone place to to go from Britain. I, well, the diamond thing can be very attractive. I mean, people aren't going to go to Arkansas just for barbecue or whatever. You know what I mean? In his case, he came to Ohio to learn to be a dentist, which I think sounds like a front. Doesn't that sound a little bit like cover? Uh, to come to Ohio to be a dentist? You're going to come to, from a warm climate, he never liked being in Cincinnati. He was unhappy until he moved back to Florida, the year I was born, uh, strangely yeah. enough. Pretty weird yeah. timing. So he came from British Guiana to Ohio to become a dentist. Yeah, he's born in 1901, and he mm. moved in. So he's about, he was just a little under 30, mm. and uh, he moved to Cincinnati to learn to become a dentist, but he never became a dentist. Well, you know, it's like the, maybe, maybe he was an elf, and, mm. and uh, Santa said, uh, you're going to make toys. And he was like, I don't want to make toys. I want to be a dentist. Is that an analogy? Oh, you're talking about Hermie. Hermie. Oink, oink. <laughs> I want to Am be a Hops dentist. Am and guitar strings. <laughs> 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 I love you, Con Cornelius, so much. The, the, the thing about uh, Ohio in 1920 is the, uh, most, of the, most of the Indian wars were, were done. It was a good time to be a dentist. You know what they called it? Well, later they called it the Queen City, but for a long time it was known as Porkopolis because of the number of pigs, pig, pig butcheries. That's that were right. There. It was a big pig town. Big pigs. Well, yep. you got to wonder what they were feeding those pigs. I didn't want to draw that line, but thank you. You know, Cincinnati, uh, they put uh, they put cinnamon in their chili. Oh, they sure do, buddy. Yeah, that's good stuff. I've never made Cincinnati chili for you, have I? Oh, you make Cincinnati chili? My mom's got an airtight recipe. Yeah, oh yeah. Goodness, uh, not Skyline. What's the other one? The I'm other big one in town. I'm buying uh, a ticket. Yeah, you should. You know, I'm buying a San Francisco ticket. I'm going to come down. And you make me some Cincinnati style chili. I got a whole plan for us to do something together. I haven't told you about it. But I got a plan. Oh, all right. We're going to take the show on the road. I haven't told you about that yet. Oh boy, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. like to go on the road. You know, this week I'm driving down to the Salton Sea. You, I think this is not another one of your made. Can, can I just say I wrote a term here earlier: intellectual larping. Is there any chance that that, <laughs> that a lot of what you're doing is like if you meet people who larp or do ren fairs or do like uh, I, look at me, I'm I'm in the army of the Potomac, and you're like, no, yeah. you're not. Like they don't, but see, they don't actually really believe that they're at Gettysburg. They're just Some they're just heavy. They're just heavy and have authentic <laughs> buttons. You know, you got you don't want you know what they call it uh, OOP out of period. They call it being out yeah, of period. You don't want the wrong buttons. You don't want, you don't want the wrong mustache. That's one of the things that I hate about those things. The wrong mustache. When I when, okay. I, when I see uh, when I see some reenactors and some guy's got the wrong mustache, I'm like, that's not the mustache they had. Because because of trimming issues. Yeah, right. You can't just like you can't just rock any mustache. You can't just wear your like steampunk mustache to a Civil War reenactment. <laughs> that's not how things are done. <laughs> what is it? Does it have unnecessary brass? Yeah, it's just you know, it's like oh sure, you're Mister Curl your mustache up or whatever, but. But there was no, there was none of that then. Droopy, this is a droopy mustache event. 
I haven't read a lot about this, but it's my understanding that that the, that there's a lot of more authenticity than now going on. There's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot like being at an independent record store, or a camera shop, or a comic shop. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. It's a lot like a comic shop. It's like a, it's like a comic shop with a tricorn hat, basically. Yeah. Uh, and but there's a lot of like, no, your buttons are not authentic. You wouldn't have a zipper and down to fleas, John. I've heard that some people will get fleas because their their guy <laughs> would have had fleas. <laughs> Uh, speaking as someone who has some not small experience with fleas you're not you're not immune to fleas i can say no i can Hmm. say that is a really stupid thing to do you're not give yourself fleas you're not gonna get a statue buddy you're not gonna now do you think they have make-believe memorials for people who make-believe died well, here, here's, here's the number here's one your problem. Donut. There's your donut in your, in your reflecting pool, asshole. Here's the number one problem with Civil War reenactments. <laughs> how many, how many cards ready? should I have for this? There are a lot of problems. Okay. Number, the number, number one, one problem with Civil War reenactments. Please continue. Number one problem with Civil War reenactments mm-hmm. is that 99% of the, the soldiers in Civil War were 17 to 20. And 99% of Civil War reenactors are 55 to 60, 65. So oh, you look really? at a Civil War reenactment, and there's all these fat old guys <laughs> dressed like privates, marching, you know, like sweat, profusely sweating in the Tennessee summer, marching over to reenact this battle. And it's like, there is not one single one of you that looks like a Civil War fighter. Right. Because skinny, tennis, skinny 17-year-old Tennesseans now are all wearing white baseball caps on backwards. And they're trying to find the nearest Juggalo encampment. They are not. They are not reenacting the Civil War, and that you know that's what you need. Basically, these fat old guys should get their sons, like actually happened in the Civil War. They should force their sons to reenact the okay, war. Okay, I, I I think I understand. You're saying there's something much deeper here. I don't care about your fucking buttons and your dysentery. There's a deeper problem, which is there's no fucking way. You would die the first week. Now, what you need to do is go get your kid and compel – make your kid – you're saying you stay back on the pig farm, and right. you make your kid who has both arms – You he joins the Army of the Potomac. Right. He joins the fake Army of the Potomac. He gets, or the, he gets, or the killed, uh, he gets killed by General Sherman. General Army. That's right. right. And, um, and, and that would be a true Civil War reenactment. Hmm. Hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, that's the number one problem. Do you, could you just uh, tell me what the number four is? Prob- problem is just off the top of your head. No, mustaches, wrong mustache. <laughs> if you go, if you go watch, watch any civil reenactment, I should. They should hire me, and I just walk down the ranks and be like, "No, wrong, wrong mustache. You're out." You know what? Frankly, I don't care if you get that job, but I would like you to go down to the t-shirt barn at whatever mall you have and get federal mustache inspector. <laughs> Maybe on a trucker cap. You can get a trucker cap, John. They're going to think that that means something else. Besides, nobody wears trucker caps anymore. Can I can I threaten to change the subject in an organic way by asking you about something you mentioned once to me? Is it yeah, true sure. that you have a tumbler about juggalos? Is that accurate? I'm I want one so badly, but <laughs> but uh, you know, Seattle is not really juggalo ground zero. You know, I really think like Tennessee is where juggalos. That's where juggalos really. That's the heart of the community. Between between right. Detroit and Memphis, it's, it's like, like, like Portly Kudzu. There's like there's like a juggalo. There's a vein of mm-hmm. juggalo that runs through our nation, our great nation, and it starts in Detroit and it ends in Memphis. <laughs> and I can't you sound like a speechwriter for the worst presidential <laughs> candidate ever. <laughs> Appear in street clown makeup, drink what? They drink Fago. Is that what it is? Yeah, Fago. And uh, and and they're proud of they're proud of being repulsive. 
Uh, and it's 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 the classic problem of uh, the people being too stupid to realize that they're stupid, so that they're proud of the thing. They're so? proud of precisely I, I thought they were the reveling. Thing. I thought they, I thought there was a culture of dumb fuckery where you were like you could become lieutenant colonel of dumbassery like pretty easily because you're respected by your peers for being more into being a dumbass. You don't think so? You don't think it's self aware? Do you don't think there's some self awareness? Mm. It seems like an outsider culture. I read an article about this. Um, Did you read that article about the about the Juggalo get together? I, I read Juggalo? every article about Juggalos that I. Can it's like find. the Holocaust. I, just, I can't stop reading about I'm it. I'm super fascinated by the. The one where they threw things at that uh, that skanky lady while she was performing. Did yeah, you read yeah, that yeah, article? Yeah, That's yeah, a good I, article. It's a really good article. It's a very good article. I mean, I've, I, but I've seen, I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of things in my time. In fact, <laughs> you've I, been I, to every state. I actually, I actually spent. <laughs> Spent some <laughs> some quality time, some intimate time, with a young lady that had a juggalo tattoo, and she she claimed that it was an ironic juggalo tattoo, <laughs> and I had my doubts. Did they have like is this, this is like a logo? What what's a jug- yeah, what does a juggalo tattoo look a juggalo like? Juggalo tattoo is a little guy. It's like you remember the Pearl Jam ten stick figure. There was a little stick figure with this guy holding his hands up in the air, and he had, like, dreadlocks. He had dreadlock hair. It was a stick figure. It wasn't even... It was just some graffito Mm -hmm. that they turned into their logo, the 10 logo. So the Juggalo logo is basically that guy, the guy with with some dreadlocks. It's a stick figure, except he's running, and he has very Rastafarian He has a machete in his hand, or a... A butcher. It looks like a meat cleaver. He has a meat cleaver in his hand. So this is the Juggalo uh, logo. And this young lady, uh, a, a friend of mine, a, a, um, a lady friend of mine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, had. She she does not live in the in the West. She well, is a. Let's be clear she, here. Now, she seriously, lives in the center of America. You you seem to be slightly delusional about a variety of things with the women in your life, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. But like, what was your actual relationship? Did you like meet her at a show? Did you ask like how? What kind of lady friend uh, was this? She was an she was an early fan of the Long Winters, and um, and in the okay. early days of the Long Winters, we had uh, we had we uh, we would they were nice enough to let us stay at their apartment, huh. and she had a separate area that was hers or her room, if you will, which was sort of the area that I stayed in. <laughs> yeah, I, if I'd known better from the beginning, I would have I would have had a separate I would have had a, a dedicated Roderick zone. Well, you know, depending on the town, in our early days of touring, depending on the town, there was always somebody had to sleep in the van, right? Because I'm paranoid about our van getting right. broken into. I did not want to be, I did not be, want to be one of those bands that had that was like riding home and saying, "Oh, our shit got ripped off." Right. Like I, I hated those bands. I hated them because all your shit got ripped off because you were stupid because you parked your van full of stuff on the street and yeah. then everybody went in and got drunk. Like, yeah, you left you left your equipment in a in a in a econo line in Manhattan. Yeah, or, or no, Manhattan is probably the safest place in the world. But like I saw, turns there was, out there, there was a bar. <laughs> there was a bar here in Seattle. I used to work at this bar, the Off Ramp. Yep, and the, the Grunge Museum. And the Grunge Museum, right? And people would play the show. They would load their stuff out into the van. And this bar was like on a deserted street next to a freeway. And then they would all come back inside and and drink like. Four beers each. So three thirty in the morning, they've got a they've got a fucking pinata full of fenders like sitting in a parking lot. Yeah, and then they would come outside, and all they had to do was leave it unattended for twenty minutes. I mean, it, these guys would swoop in, break the lock on the van, and it, it would be it'd be empty. Like all you had to do was turn around and not leave a guy out there. Right? Seriously. So we had like sand we built people. A, we built a like sand people. That's right. 
we built a bed in our van and we just never left it unattended. And some in some towns, the fact that one guy could sleep in the bed in the van ended up being like that guy was the king that night because we were sleeping. There was one time, oh my God, we slept at these people's house and uh, all their sinks were, all their sinks had clogged, hmm. but they hadn't stopped putting dirty dishes and, and mm. like pour, pouring their beer into the sink. So yeah, it was like, like still water. Like uh, every sink was absolutely filled to the brim with black water. Ugh. And uh, you know, there was a, there was a layer of three inches of, of cat vomit on everything. And we pulled up to this thing and went inside and it, then the, the, the house was dim, right? Dimly lit. And everybody pours into the house like, yeah, we're partying. We're having some after show party with these people. And I got to the top of the stairs and I looked left and I looked right and I saw in all the corners of the hallway, like that, that like skin flakes and pubic hairs had accumulated mm-hmm. in like little piles, so that you could almost, if you were a if you were a mouse on a skateboard, you could it, actually uh, do jug- ramp jug- tricks. Juggle a tinsel, they call it. Ugh. And I got to the top of the stairs, and I was like, "Hey, you guys, guess what? I'm sleeping in the van tonight." <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was outside, all comfortable in my happy little van. While these guys were being bitten by fleas, and probably if there hadn't been a group of us, one of them would have ended up in pig bacon <laughs> or LARPing. Terrible now, thing. anyway, now, so this girl, this this juggler. Oh, sorry, girl, sorry, sorry. She's, she's not. It. She wasn't. She claims not to be a juggler. She claims to be an ironic juggalo appreciator. Uh, this is a long time ago, too. Before she was my first introduction to juggaloism. I. I don't I don't understand tattoos and I and I have to say now I really really don't understand ironic tattoos. Boy. Uh, yeah. Did you get the thing I sent you? I used to have a circle jerk shirt that had this guy skanking on it and it's mm-hmm. it looks oddly fam- Was close. he easy skanking? Mm-mm, he certainly was not. But it's weird. It makes me realize the Juggalo logo looks a little bit like oh, a, yeah. a cross between the circle jerk skanky guy and mm-hmm. uh and uh and a swastika. A little got, bit of a, it has swastika elements, but look at the Pearl Jam 10 logo. Okay. It's got swa- swasticality. Is that what you call it? It has, it has a little swasticality. <laughs> but so does the Circle Jerks guy for it's that. It's one of my favorite Busby Berkeley dance sequences. And the Circle Jerks guy is, also happens to be a skinhead. Well, yeah, I think he's from like LA or I think he's from like, you know, the Valley maybe. Oh, you're saying like he's a peaceful skin or he's no, a. No, no. That was the he's first, a the first hardcore show I ever went to was a Circle Jerk show and it scared the living shit out of me. Right. Those, those kids, those kids dancing around in that little circle in 1986 was some scary stuff. I mean, really that was fucks. violent, scary stuff. I did that. I did that quite a bit, that stuff. That slam dancing. Yeah. Are you Welsh? You should probably be Welsh. I am Welsh. I could see that. Who's that? Dylan Thomas? Somebody said, if you show a Welshman two doors and one of them says self-destruction, you always know which one it'll take. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was, when I was that age, uh, I, and this is, I, I only know it now, uh, in retrospect, at the mm-hmm. time I didn't realize this, but I honestly could only feel things uh, in that in the absolute most extremist sense. So, if I was feeling bad, hmm. the only way I could really connect with feeling bad was that I would uh, like fall, I would belly flop on the floor uh, so hard that I, it would shake glasses off of of uh, counters and stuff. Were you like that, that as a was, kid or just grown? No, no, no. It was just uh, just when I got into my late teens, I had suppressed my emotions for so many years that the only way I could feel emotions was to basically I was never a 
I didn't cut myself. I just went. In, I just went into. <laughs> you weren't a uh, goth. <laughs> I went to punk shows and I uh, flailed around and uh, and punched people and they punched me. That was uh, that was one of the ways in which I uh, I experienced emotion. I just sent you something a link for something called sensory processing disorder. I think you might. I think you might have gotten that at some point in your twenties. Some ki- kids have this today. It's. I think it might be on the spectrum. These but are headbangers, right? They bang their heads. These on the are wall. like little kids who have to run into things. Yeah, uh, that was me. That was that was me. But it took many years to develop. I, I did. I wasn't like it as a kid. How'd you but get started? I, well, I suppressed my emotions. I was one of those. Uh, I was a modern kid that was like, "Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine." I'm you fine. suppressed your emotions. I'm fine. I'm fine. Until when? Until I was in my twenties. Hmm. Until I was in my uh, late twenties, actually. In my early twenties, I was still suppressing my emotions. Really. Uh, uh, and I, when I say suppressing my emotions, I mean all of my emotions all the time. Whoa. I had, I had, I had, I had, uh, only one like visible expression of emotion. And that was that I would, uh, that I would get so, uh, it, basically anything, if I felt anything extremely, and I'm talking about even extreme happiness, but the only way I could express it was to go, uh, sit in a corner and stare at the floor. <laughs> Honestly. That's not funny, but that's funny. It wasn't funny at all. I would go sit in the corner, I would stare at the floor sometimes for hours. And that's when you... when you That was angry, that was sad, when you, that was when you, I just want to be clear, though, that's not when you couldn't feel an emotion, that's when you felt it strongly. That's when I was really, like, feeling it, I would go stare at the floor. The, uh, the rest of the time, emotions made no... I had no... I, I had no contact with them. And then it is why I went through a very long period where people thought I was a real asshole. Not... <laughs> Not, not, during, not during the suppressed emotions period, but during that period immediately afterwards where I was like, you know what? Yeah. I need to feel, I need to start feeling emotions. As fissures developed. And I had no, I had no idea how to do it. I had no idea how to do it in a socially acceptable way. So I would feel these emotions and I would just like go, bah! and And it was a little bit scary because, of course, I had grown up. I was very big and I was already, and I had a very fierce look. That I practiced for many years of not feeling things. Wow! So when I did suddenly have an emotion, boy, it was a, it was terrorizing. Now I'm I'm much for I'm I'm I've been working on it for a long time. Now I have emotions all the time. I'm having one right now. Hmm. Yeah. Can you give me a rough idea? Uh, it's sort of a knot in my stomach with a little bit of nausea. Oh, maybe it's happiness. Maybe it's that donut I'm you s- ate. I'm still a little bit. I'm still a little bit <laughs> unclear on how how emotions get get felt. You should get some fago. I should. You know what I should do? I should now that I'm in my forties and I have like basically injured every every single limb in my body. Now I should go get in a mud bath with a bunch of twenty year old Tennesseans <laughs> and really let my feelings come out. No, I don't think so. How, do you th- how, a culture like that? <clears throat> I mean, like one thing I admire. I always admire. I don't say always admire. Let's just say I'm very interested in outsider cultures. I'm very interested in people. You know, it's one one of the few good things about the internet and potentially deadly and dangerous things is you can find people who are into the same thing that you're into, which right. is great. I think anytime you have a community of people who feel adrift, they can meet people who like what they like. I mean, it's easy to make fun of, but it's it's kind of cool. I mean, sometimes it's so that easy is, to make fun of. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes you end up you know on a ranch like you know collecting you know collecting guns and. Stuff, yeah, but, yeah. but or sometimes I mean, you sometimes end up at Comic Con, walking around. You claim like you claim to, you claim to like it there. <laughs> I did Boba, like. Did you say dressed as Boba Fett? Yeah, I did like it there. But you know, 
I was dressed as Boba Fett, so nobody could tell who I was. I'm, a, I'm always amazed at the people who dress as an extremely minor character. That's the ones well, I really admire. Yeah, those are the geniuses. Yeah. In fact, you know what? We got some fan mail the other day. Did we? We got some fan mail from a listener. We have, we have a way to receive fan mail? Well, a listener in Germany... <laughs> It's already sent, funny. <laughs> sent us some packages to Barsook Records, my record label, who <laughs> forwarded the packages to me, and I took the liberty of opening your present. Cool. I what is it? Is it, is it, is it a nice your, thing? Or is it... Well, so my present mm-hmm. was a book uh, that had Iggy Pop on the cover, and it was a collection of short reviews of the 315 best songs in the world in his in rock and roll 50, 315 best rock and roll songs nice it's a book you know that you keep in the bathroom mm-hmm. and you thumb through and you're like oh right i agree that that something by the Beatles. seasons in the sun by terry jacks right great song I, i'm gonna go check and see if it's in it the present for you was an action figure <gasps> it Still in the original packaging, of course. I have not. I have not. M- it's M- it. MIB. It is an action figure from the movie Wall E. <gasps> no. And it is the minor character of the robot washer. Mo. Mo the robot washer. That's my daughter's favorite, and and probably my favorite. I well, love Mo. Oh my god, that's so sweet. It's on literally on my Amazon wish list. Maybe that's where they saw it. Our fan, <gasps> our fan in Germany, sent you a Mo. Oh my god, which we, I have here. It's right next to your cello. And now I'm I got your nausea knot. I feel terrible about what we've said about Germany. No, no, no. I didn't Germany's, even know they had a way to get us things. Germany's fine. They can take it. You know, the Germans are used to being teased. They like pastry, don't no, they? they? They like certain pastries. They like uh, they like pastries with the. Uh, with um, poppy seeds on them. Or like, like poppy like seed pastries. Poppy seed pastries. But you, you got to give them cake. They like cake in Germany. You uh, like cake. You love cake. You know, they like cake in Austria. Hmm. In Germany, they like bread with mustard. Hmm. That sounds hearty. Oh, they're a hearty people. You like, toast, you like toast with honey. That's not dissimilar. I like toast with honey. I, you know, I was thinking the other day, uh, in, in all the gas stations in Germany, they sell these hot dogs, which they call sausages or versed mm-hmm. they sell these really long sausages like, like comically long well <laughs> like yeah, a tapeworm kind, like how kind long of comically long i mean they they have these uh they have these jars these glass jars oh, this god. is in every gas station in germany oh god is, is it like the like, eggs is it like that kind of thing yeah yeah uh. it's like a, it's like a hard-boiled egg next to the bar <laughs> except it's a glass jar filled with like hot dog water <laughs> and it has all these <laughs> these like 18-inch long sausages. Oh, God. And you go in and you get one of these things, and then they give you a roll to go with the sausage. But the roll is the size of a baseball. So you have this 18-inch long sausage and then this baseball-sized roll. And uh, for the life of me, I mean, I've been there I've been there uh, dozens of times, and I, I love these uh, these versts. But I do not understand how they're meant to be consumed. I don't know if you hold the hot dog in one hand and the roll in the other, and you take a bite out of one and then a bite out of the other. Yeah, I think you'd have to alternate wiener ends. Or do you do you cut the worst into quarter? Do you cut it down lengthwise and then in half? And could then... you could you make a make just a small incision and fold it to make a triple dog? 
Mm. It says here, uh, just just quickly, uh, 18 inches uh, is 45.7 centimeters. Mm. So 45 sounds, centimeter verse. Mm, so 45 centimeter verse. It sounds to me like, and you said you said the bun was approximately six inches. Right. Uh, which would be, what, then, 15 centimeters. You. It seems to me, uh, and by the way, that is, uh, the worst would be eight and a half uh, credit card widths. Right. The this, ver- is Wolf, the this is Wolf, this is Wolf, this is I thought we weren't going to quote your records. You're allowed to. You're the auteur. So what you're saying is you could, you, could actually, you could actually fold this verse in thirds and put it in the bun. I you know, I've Germany's got a lot of rules. they got a lot of rules about a lot of things. They do. You know, we they shouldn't do. get into some of them, but I, I've been learning no, a lot keep... about things that are illegal in Germany. Oh. And, and maybe verse folding is not, it may be something that's frowned upon. I couldn't tell. You know, you sit in these gas stations and everybody that's in there... You know, the Germans, they're, they're not making a lot of eye contact with oh, each other. Oh, sitting around gas stations, the Germans. Everybody's sitting around this gas station eating these worst, and I've been watching them trying to figure out, like, what the way to do it is. Everybody's got a different method. So huh. I can never it's know. like eating Oreos. It's like eating Oreos. It, maybe it's the German Oreo. It's a, it's a, it's a hot dog in a, in a small bun. <laughs> a long hot dog in a small bun. That's the German Oreo. <laughs> that whole, like, eating out of a jar. I mean, it's such an obvious joke for, like, a Simpsons thing, but, like, I have never in, in you know, I, John, we've talked, I, I mean, I've eaten a lot of shit from a 7-Eleven. I know you Like have. actual literal shit. Like I've had some very bad things from a 7-Eleven. Yeah. I've never had any desire to reach my arm. In, is, is it brine or vinegar? What's, do you have any sense of what's... Something. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm being reductive here. Uh, Lizard blood. I'm doing that intellectual LARPing I don't like. Let me ask it as a question. John, to your knowledge, first of all, have you ever eaten an egg out of a jar in a fast food place? No, but I have eaten a, a jalapeno pepper out of a jar. Hmm. I, I've got, I, I, you know, I'm very uncomfortable, as you know, I'm very uncomfortable with open containers of, of food, any kind of salad bar type scenario. Mm-hmm. Ever since 9-11, I can't stop thinking about it. Here's my to, problem. I don't like know. eggs. Not at all. No, no, no. I mean, I like, I like scrambled eggs. I like oh, okay. baked eggs, but I don't like I a hard-boiled egg. I eggs. I make good eggs. I don't like a hard-boiled egg. Not at all. And I don't like a brined Most egg. Most people way overcook their eggs, including my wife. I have a I have a method I have a method for she doesn't listen to this podcast I never she's she she, she keeps thinking that she's going to listen to the rubber girl episode but <laughs> oh is that the one that's the one you're going to introduce her to well I thought start at the girl? start at the top right let it give her a revolver you know what I'm saying <laughs> here you go honey um, play with uh, this darling well let, we'll get back to them I'll write that down for later but I, I do have a bulletproof uh, egg cooking method but okay sure. so you've had. Oh, no, wait, what did if, you see? I saw this on the internet yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Somebody saying the actual best way to make a hard-boiled egg is not to boil it at all, but to put them in the oven to bake the egg. Turns out. In the oven. <laughs> Have you considered this? I had not, but that would not be boiling. Well, no, but it would be, I mean, the egg probably would be boiling inside itself. You know, the best way to cook, cook uh, fried bacon is slow broasting. Well, no, here's what you do. You get, you get a rolling boil. Right, yeah. this might be straight out of Craig Kilborn. On the witness, that the Daily Show guy. Anyway, the New York Times guy. You Craig get the... Kilborn. Okay, thank was, you. I, I was actually on his show, the Craig Kilborn show, when I was in Harvey Danger. No kidding. You was that out there? I think uh, Harvey Danger playing "Sad Sweetheart of the Rodeo" on the Craig oh, Kilborn that's a show. Great song. And it was my first time ever playing the bass through an amplifier. You're kidding. What? Oh, come no, on! I, I told refuse you this story. to believe that. No, no, no. <gasps> late, late show with Craig. Oh my God. We were so Go we were on search, tour. and you're right in the thumbnail, John. Yeah, you we were in a blue tour. shirt. I see your face, and I was the keyboard player in the band. Right, and Aaron Huffman, the bass player of Harvey Danger, got sick while we were on tour. He got very sick. Nice guy, and he had to go home. Oh no! And we were at the airport. We were at Reagan National Airport in Washington D.C., where I have been, 
multiple times. And we're standing in the airport. Aaron's like, I got to go. I got to go home. I got to go to the hospital. And he did. He went to the hospital. What, do you have like and a flu? He had pneumonia. <gasps> Poor Aaron. He's such a and sweet guy. He's a wonderful man and a great musician. Mm-hmm. And they're, so all, they're, they're a good band. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> but so we're standing at the airport and, and we, we, we're, we're, we're waiting to get on an airplane to go to Los Angeles to play on the Craig Kilborn show. And the bass player like basically walks across the airport to a different airline and puts his credit card down and is on an airplane 20 minutes later and is gone. Like poof, and so we're standing there, sitting on our guitar cases, and the 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 band's like, "Well, what are we going to do? We got to cancel this show." And the, talking back and forth, and then they all kind of look at me at once, and they're like, "Could you play the bass?" Forty uh, Second Street, get out there, kid. And I was like, "Sure." Although I had never played the bass, that's got some fruity changes on it, doesn't it? Well, that, it Aaron, seems Aaron so straightforward, and then it's Aaron got some like changes. Aaron is like a lead guitar player who's only, who's just playing the bass. Oh, like gosh. He, his his bass lines are not easy. Like a high up so the neck I, guy. Well, and just like he plays through a distortion box, he plays like okay. he plays melodies. So I'm like, I can do this, and they got the bass. This is before 9/11, so they got the bass out of the bass case. They put it in my hand, and they said, "Carry this on the airplane." Listen to the song on your headphones and learn it while we fly across the country. In a plane seat? So I'm sitting in the back of this airplane with this, because I, I walk on the airplane with the bass and they're like, can we help you put that in an overhead compartment? <laughs> and I said, lady, I'm supposed to be on national television tomorrow. And I do, I have never played this instrument before. So you are not taking, you are not touching this guitar. I'm going to have this with me. And they put me in a seat in the back where there was nobody sitting next to me, which again, does not happen anymore. And I spent the whole plane flight with this bass in my hand and listening to the song. We landed, and there was a limo to pick us up. And I sat in the limo with the bass and my headphones. And we got to the hotel, and I stayed up basically all night, learning, basically learning to play the bass. My fingers were all blistery and, and red, and I was like, meh. And in the morning, I woke up, did it again, li- listened to the song, playing the bass, the limo came to pick us up, took us to the Craig Kilborn show, whole way there <laughs> practicing. <laughs> and we walk in, they walk us onto the stage, and the guy there's a guy standing there and he hands me a cable. I plug it in to the bass and go boom, boom, boom. And that's the first time I've ever played an amplified bass. And then I turn and there's a man standing there who goes, You're on in five, four, oh, three, two. And then we start playing the song, and I have I had never played it with a band. I had never played an amplified bass guitar, and that is the that is the version of "Sad Sweetheart of the Rodeo" you'll see on the internet on the Craig Kilburn. I'm scared to watch now. How'd it go? It went great because I was fueled by I I had massive waves of adrenaline. Right, so I'm just like woohoo! And not <laughs> only am I not only am I playing the bass, but I'm also singing the harmony parts. Which I had not been practicing, <laughs> right? I, this I, is so much like a dream from junior high. It was crazy. I, I I used to sing the harmony parts from behind the keyboard, but as I was learning the bass part, I forgot that I also had all these singing parts. Oh my god! And then once I was out there and we were playing the song and I was playing the bass, I just started singing my harmony parts too, because I was fueled by such a massive adrenaline wave, and it went fine. It went great. Um. But then, so we're, after the show, we're in the green room, and I'm coming down, like, off of a, you know, a thousand waves of cocaine power, 
of having just done made my base debut on national television. And everybody looks at me and they're like, well, you know, our next show is in Buffalo in two days. Can you learn the rest of the set? Can you learn the whole set on the base? And I was like, yes, I totally can. And so I spent the next two days, like again, on an airplane, flying to Buffalo, in the hotel, in Buffalo, learning every song in, in the Harvey Danger set. And, you know, the first night was pretty rough. The second night was better. And by the third night, I felt like, yeah, I've got it. I, I just learned 15 songs on an instrument I've never played before. My hands were just, every night were just covered in blood because I, had, I hadn't been able to develop any calluses. It was just, I had just shredded my fingers. And after the third show, I was like, I got it. And I quit practicing. And that night, I went out, had some food in a restaurant, watched a little TV in the hotel room, went to sleep, woke up the next day, feeling good, went for a walk. And then we went to the show and I had no recollection of any of the songs. Oh, I could not remember the first note of any one of the 15 songs and walked out on stage somewhere in Pennsylvania and was just like, uh, <laughs> I got nothing. It had, I stopped practicing and it was kept in my, it was kept in my RAM or it was kept in my ROM. Never wrote to disc. It never wrote to disc. It was just in, it was just there in flash memory. <laughs> and it, then it was all gone. And I had to, I basically had to start at the start and, and relearn how all the songs went again that night. So that by the show the following day, I kind of had it all back. But there's one show in Pennsylvania, and thank God this was before people had camera phones. There's one show in Pennsylvania where, where I was out there just throwing my biggest bass shapes and basically was improvising, improvised soloing over the, over the entire show. So you can remember like what key it's in and like just hang out on the root a little bit. Yeah, but, I'd, yeah. I'd kind of look, I'd look over at the guitar player and he'd be glaring at me. Oh, and I was God. just like, what is the note? What was Sean's response? You know, Sean, uh, Sean, he's a pro. He's a pro. He's the front man, right? So he's out at the front of the stage. He's trying to put on a show and uh, he was used to the band behind him being a little chaotic. So this, this wasn't it would prob probably that show in Pennsylvania where I didn't remember any of the notes. Probably wasn't even the worst Harvey Danger show. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably in the top. With, the top with, including with or without you. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are, there are some shows where I wasn't even in the band that probably rivaled it for, for, uh, I mean, certainly number of people on stage who don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I don't think it was even in the top ten. Were you in the audience for any of those? I, I saw some Harvey Danger shows before I was in the band. Some that were miraculous. Some that were absolutely on fire, and some that were that were truly miraculous in another way. <laughs> and then, so what? Did you get back at Sean later by making him sleep in the van? Well, Sean realized. As everyone did pretty early, but when we first started going on tour, in, for those who don't know, you you then I hired Sean Nelson in the Long Winters, right? Singer of Harvey Danger, singer of Harvey Danger became the Long Winters keyboard player and backing singer. And uh, how do you like how do you like them apples? <laughs> <laughs> take that, take that. Yeah, uh, say hello to the new boss, same as the old boss. Uh, but uh, but 
at the beginning of those early tours, there was a lot of resistance from people to sleep in the van. Like, I don't want to sleep in the van. I want to sleep in the hotel room. And so I was like, all right, I'll sleep in the van. You know, you guys double up in some bed in a Super 8 motel. But then people realized that, you know, they're young guys. They're most of the guys. Well, everybody else in the band besides me was in their 20s. And they want a little privacy. You got a compulsive masturbator in the band. They want a little. They want a little masturbation time. Yes. And so, if you slept in the van, that was your opportunity to play with yourself. Well, it's also it's like six hours of not having to be around the other guys. Right. Six which hours must have been like, huge. Oh, oh my God! No one is telling. No one is trying to tell me any stories about the Civil War. <laughs> no one is lecturing me right now about Tippecanoe and Tyler too. Don't touch my Tinkerbell poster. <laughs> no, no one is yelling at me. No one is. No one is opening a can of tuna fish and spreading it on a pita bread. <laughs> no one is explaining to me why Sebado is the greatest band in American history. I can just sit here and masturbate. And enjoy a little alone time, sleepy time. So the van became like a thing that people would fight over. That's so. I keep thinking the whole time you say this, um, answer however sensible. But like, what? There must have been times when that, if you like, paid off by somebody being there when somebody tried to break in. I mean, how many times did that happen? And who was there? Well, uh, our drummer Michael, our drummer at the time, Michael Schilling who is now a professor of literature at Cornish College of the Arts. Nice. Uh, was in the van one night when a guy jumped up on the back bumper and started shooting Roman candles. Like, bo- like bottle sky. rockets? No, Roman candles. Oh, oh, the sparky kind. Yeah. Uh, well, like shooting flaming balls, like boom, boom, mm-hmm. Roman mm-hmm. candles. And uh, Michael tells this story. It sounded kind of like a fever dream um, where he, uh, the thing is, we never, he came running into the hotel room and was like, you guys, you guys, come out. There's this guy's attacking the van. And we all <laughs> ran out there and there was nobody there and there's nothing, no sign of anything. It kind of reminded me of the, of the ghost of the Civil War dead that I saw when mm-hmm. I was sleeping in the van out in front of your house. Yeah. Um, so I can't think of a time when somebody, when like, Two thugs and a crowbar snuck up and were going to try and break into the van. But this is also because when I would leave a club with a van full of gear and some dudes, Mm -hmm. I would take a circuitous route to lose any tails that I might have. I would use some of my tail losing techniques that I learned in my FBI surveillance manual. I would lose any tails. So what, by the time we got to the hotel, it's pretty safe, pretty secure in the knowledge that we had not been followed. <laughs> just a bunch of people from uh, <clears throat> some kind of black ops just shaking their fists at you from like mm-hmm. a Volvo. Damn it! Well, and the other thing I would do is if I felt like somebody was really going to, uh, if I felt like it was a situation where there were a lot of guys lurking around, eyeballing our van, I'd get everybody in the van and we'd drive for three hours out into the countryside. <laughs> In the, like, direct, in the direction you needed to go? In the direction we needed to go. Okay. So I was like, you know, if you guys want to rip off our van, that's fine. You just have to follow us out into the night. At 4 a.m., we're going to pull over at a Super 8 somewhere. And then do your worst. There's something, um, you know, I, <clears throat> I try to be sensitive about these things. Because I know you are, I have to 
have to imagine somewhat circumspect about what you share in a public forum like this. Certainly, oh, true. your you're knowledge right. and your wisdom is something you're you're very generous with sharing. But your the various techniques that allow you to conduct yourself in the way you do now, or in some kind of an apocalyptic world, or things we want to you know you don't tell people where the gun's hidden, right? Exactly. You don't say, "Oh, yeah, I've got a bunch of like silver ingots no. that I'm using as uh, like uh, book stands." <laughs> What are those things called? <laughs> we put it at the end of a row of books. <laughs> You're a canny man. <laughs> no, uh, you over a Krugerrand. You take an ingot over a Krugerrand. Well, they don't make silver Krugerrands. Well, well, you don't want you don't want a gold. Don't they make a gold Krugerrand? Well, they do, but you know, gold's a lot more expensive than silver. Oh, sure. Okay, it's easier to cash silver too. If you go to a Denny's or something. Oh, I thought you meant cash, like C A. C-H-E. Oh, sure, 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 like geocaching. And yeah. the thing is, before I had had as much exposure to you in general and specifically uh, to your, you know, just call it your training, you know, mm-hmm. especially yeah. via, via this program. Self-training, autodidactic training. But your, your autodidacticism. Uh, I remember one day, uh, you stopped me. Again, we'll cut this out if it's anything that, that, that you know, reveals uh, no, too no, much. No, 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 I'm, I'm okay. comfortable. You and I were on public transit going somewhere here in San Francisco, and, and you would do this thing. You wouldn't even... We didn't. We didn't want to talk about that. You did this thing, but you would always do this thing that struck me as being extremely weird. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now I think it's really fucking weird. But I understand why you do it. Which mm-hmm. is, I would stand up when our stop was coming. I would stand up and I would go stand by the door. Uh-huh. And uh, you would have, you would sit there in a way that was not only a stand. Not you not only weren't standing up, but you kind of acted like you didn't know me. Like maybe. <laughs> Something hey, maybe you, this guy just happened to be sitting there, and I'd be turning around and looking at you. Your expression would not change. The, the doors would open. Uh-huh. I would I would walk out like an adult, and at the very last moment, like Han Solo jumping through the closing sphincter, you would uh-huh. dive through the door. <laughs> and I would say, John, <laughs> just just for future reference, if we ride Munity together, when I stand up and move toward the door and say, the "Next one's our stop." <laughs> you can you can get off with me and you said what did you say well you tell me i think what you said what you said was i don't want people to know my movements ahead of time because <laughs> that chinese lady with the chicken in the six pink bags you know what i mean that could be like a kind of some kind of goldfinger situation <laughs> oh my God. I still do that, you know. When the when the uh, when I was, I was traveling with Hodgman, and we're sitting in an airport, and they're like, "All right, uh, now boarding rows, you know, one through 15, And Hodgman stands up, and he's like, "That's us." And I'm like, "That's you." And he's like, "What do you mean? We're in we're both in row two. We're sitting next to each other." And I'm like, "You can get on now if you want." <laughs> so he's like, "Well, I do want." I'm like, "Okay, bye." So he goes and he's staring at me all the way down the. And I'm just sitting there reading a newspaper. I don't get on an airplane. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm not even taking a flight. Maybe I'm just here. Maybe I'm I work scared. here. You don't I know. At the airport. I'm not even I, reading this paper. This might not be a paper. You keep moving. Don't worry about me. When the when the woman from the airplane actually when they have said final boarding <laughs> the doors call, are about to close, <laughs> and they, when they've said that three times, and the woman at the gate kicks the little uh, rubber <laughs> foot on the door in order to swing it closed. <laughs> That's when I stand up and walk briskly to the gate. You you uh, hurl your carry-on bag and dive. When a lot of times I'll be getting on the plane and they'll actually have they'll actually be shutting the door and I'll be like, "Oh, one more." 
coming through. Tearing off your fake mustache. Because, you know, if I'm the last on the plane, it means whatever guy was following me didn't make it on the plane. That's right. Maybe next time, comrade. Oh, I think I could find a spot there. So Hodgman gets on. Let me turn this off. Hodgman's <laughs> like you. He's like, oh, it's time to board the plane. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm, I, here's the thing, John, is I get swept up. I get swept up like anybody in the whole boarding thing. And you know me. I'm, I'm a Buddhist, not really a Buddhist, kind of a Buddhist. You know, I, I like to keep my head about me. I don't, I don't like to be somebody who's being driven by the anxiety of people around me. It's a terrible fucking idea. It's no way yeah. to lead your life. Agreed. And, you know, and so the thing is, at every moment of travel, I thought we are stopping, but I guess we're not. The, the thing about traveling is that every step of the way, unless you have the right mental attitude about travel, you will constantly be going, I can't fucking wait to get to the next thing and I'll be angry until I do. That's the default state of all travelers. And so you want to get to the fucking airport. You get to the fucking airport. You want to get your fucking bag checked, right? (laughs) Security, hot dog, coffee, line, fucking what? Really? Really? You're in, you're in seating area four and you're standing there with your six bags. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you fucking move and, and let this lady with the baby through? God damn it. It makes me mad. Everybody's, yeah. but I'm not really angry, right? Cause I'm in the moment. I got my head on me. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a fucking Buddhist. And yeah. I sit there and I sit in my seat like a gentleman until they call it. Right. And then, and then I go up and I see that that's what I do. And then you get in there and everybody's jostling around with, now you're riding in first class with mustache boy. So you don't have this situation. Right. But, uh, I don't know. How, how'd you score a first class seat? Did you pay well, for that? You know, sometimes, uh, you're a musician, you're a musician. You can't pay for things like that. You know, sometimes now they give you these like first class upgrades for 50 bucks. Bullsh- Alaska? You fly in Alaska? Yeah, Alaska. Okay, see, now Alaska's different. But the thing is, I- I'll tell you why I can already tell, not to reveal you. I can tell that's bullshit. First mm. class always checks in 100% full. <laughs> you know, I have to say a redundancy every Well, time. nowadays they do. Always checks in 100% full. 100% nowadays, totally full. When I travel with John Hodgman, mm-hmm. my travel is paid for. Oh, he just peels off one of those novelty-sized uh, bills. He does. He peels, he peels off a novelty-sized bill, and he's like, this one's on me. You know, he did over 60 of those commercials from the television. Yeah, I know he did. I saw a photo of him on the internet, and we shouldn't talk about it on the show. I saw a photo of him on the internet the other day. Are we still doing the show? I thought you had canceled. I thought you had closed, it, closed us out. Yeah, yeah, we stopped a long time ago. Don't worry. All right. No, we're still recording. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I saw him. He still has a creepy mustache, but he had kind of kind of floppy like cool guy hair. Is he working floppy cool guy hair or was he just, was he, was he like uh shemp? He just needed, they needed to kind of pat it back down. Cause he looked kind of cool. He looked like he was working a look. Well, here's the, here's the thing. Uh, here's the thing he, about John Hodgman. Uh, he, uh, like a lot of people, he, he, he struggled to find uh, the right haircut for a long time. I think because, um, you know, he has a, uh, unusual head shape. He has a head shape. That that it, you can't just go into a barber and say, "Give me the standard uh, preppy haircut." I don't think you could either. You have an extremely large head. Well, that's why I taught myself how to uh, cut my own hair. Right, and he went to Yale. And he went to Yale, so he right. was used to going to barbers and having uh, barbering done. I heard they have a whole skull and bones uh, uh, salon. I don't know if that's true. Skull and bones barber barbershop. Yep. But so for a long time, I think Coiffure. he was he was just having his hair cut by somebody, mm-hmm. and it, he would get a different, you know, it would be a different experience every time. Well, um, in my uh, since we've known each other, I mean, I think at one point his wife even suggested that I cut his hair, and he was very very unwilling to have me cut his hair. How did you feel about her even offering that up on his behalf? He was, he was furious at her. He was just like, no, 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 no. And partly it was that he didn't want me touching him. And partly it was just that he did not want, 
he did not want that. That was not a thing. And she was like, but I mean, I think, he, you know. So he grew his hair a little bit. And I think the prospect, maybe even the prospect of having me cut his hair mm-hmm. was enough to what was enough to cause him to start thinking about his Protest hair. Protest as he did, it had an effect. Well, since that time, he has started wearing his hair in what I think is a, mu- a much more becoming style for mm. him. And, you know, for me, I think, like, if I cut my hair too short on the sides, it really it really exacerbates the bigness of my head. Does it make you look more like a juggalo? makes me look more like a... It makes me look like a guy that used to be in shape and now <laughs> has a 26-inch neck and sells... Right. Sells but, but, he still, but he still thinks of himself as being, a, like, beefy. Yeah, yeah, he's beefy. He's a slick guy. He's a he's, he's a got one of those. Uh, got one of those. Uh, they call it a, a graphic tee with like this douchebag uh, German uh, Gothic black letter things on it. You know, <laughs> it spells out Stussy or something like that. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Right. So, do you have to prove you've done date rape to buy an Ed Hardy shirt, or how does that work? Ed Hardy is the hot rod guy, right? The hot I don't rod know. Or- now, what about uh, Adidas shower sandals? Those are kind of rapey. Boy, I have never. You know what? I don't have shower sandals. Good I for take, you. I take my I take my chances. I get in a shower, and it's like, do I am I going to get foot fungus here? Is that Maybe. the concern? The concern is contagion. Like the you're going to get some kind of get, toe virus. You're going to get toe virus. You're going to get jock foot. Yes. And uh, so I take my chances. Yeah. What about flip flops? I don't like flip flops either. I don't like them. I don't like them. I don't no. like anybody in them. When hmm. I was living in New York, it was right. Uh, during the transition between when girls, girls during the '90s, you remember, all wore big chunky boots, combat boots, yeah. And I thought that was so sexy mm-hmm. on little skinny legs. Yeah, big big chunky boots and and little mm. baby doll dresses. Mm-hmm, mm. And then right there at the end of the '90s, there was this transition, and all of a sudden they were wearing really expensive flip flops, like expensive flip flop high heel flip flops. <laughs> I don't think you can do that. High heel flip flops. That's what that was the new fashion, and mm. I was so disgusted by it. First of all, because people's toes are disgusting. No, absolutely. Second, second of all, combat boots were sexy. I I figured when we got to combat boots and baby doll dresses that we were at the end of fashion, mm-hmm. and that girls, this was the this was going to be sexy from here on out. Oh, and, that, that somehow there would be like uh, it would be like the Nasdaq in uh, 1999 that we would just be able to sustain this level of awesome sauce forever. Yeah, right. You can wear different dresses. You can have pants. We'll, you see, can have we'll see variations on this, but at this point, the taste has changed. But the boot, the boot, the boots, tall boots. Mm-hmm. That's we're done. It's a great look. And then high heel flip flops came in, and I was, <laughs> and I'm I'm right on the subways all the time looking at these girls, and I'm like, you have you have craggy, gnarly toes. <sighs> I don't want to see this. I want you in boots. This it's it's big here. You know how cold our neighborhood is, like almost all the time. Like yeah. it's fifty three in our neighborhood every day because the 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 winter comes in. We have a track. very very unusual climate, even for San Francisco. But you know, San Francisco has got a crazy climate. But even I live in a pretty cold neighborhood where there are days will be it'll be fifty two or fifty five. It goes up and down, but I mean, it's homeostatically, it always ends back around 53 or 54. Right. And these kids, if they're not wearing their Ugg boots, they're wearing, they're wearing their fucking flip-flops. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's literally an atrocity. I, how much worse, worse can Hitler. it get? It's, it's worse than Hitler. If there's anything worse than Hitler, it's a lot of this modern footwear. Yeah. You know? And, the, and the, really, the Ugg boots, it's like you either dress like a hooker on duty or a hooker on her day off. And not in a good bacon way. 
Like yeah. that's that's awful, John. Ugh, yeah. I'm not even talking about like, going to the laundromat. I'm talking about like walking around the mall in flip flops. That's not appropriate. Basically, if you are a girl between the ages of thirteen and sixty, <laughs> you should be wearing combat boots at all times. <laughs> But but no but no uh, but no um, navel piercings, no piercings of any kind. <laughs> uh, maybe ear piercings, right? If you're Mexican, but combat. <laughs> but now you're 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 attractive. You represent the apex apex of fashion, at least in the last century, and you're ready to run if shit goes down at the airport. You're not going to get in John's way. Thank you. Yes. You are ready. You, not only are you not going to get in my way, but if I grab you by the hand and say, "Come with me," if you want to live, you come with me if you want to live. <laughs> you have you have the appropriate footwear that we can, you know, like team up. Basically, if, if I'm in an airport, I'm scanning to see who which girls have combat boots on, <laughs> and then I'm choosing among those who I'm going to use as a mate to repopulate the world. And and that I mean this it's a lot like let's be honest Doctor Strangelove you're gonna need that attraction mm-hmm. you know especially as you age um, mm-hmm. you're gonna need an extremely high level maybe an un- untenably let's be honest an untenably high level of uh, of sexual attraction in order for you to be able to even do anything toward approaching repopulating the planet yeah I mean that's a big responsibility let me ask you this you 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 you, you the, they say this is it this is the last call for flight thirty five fifteen to uh, to Seattle. The door is closing. You throw your bag. You hurl yourself through, and right behind you uh, comes a slender girl uh, with no belly button ring dude. in a baby doll with big ass combat boots. Dirt. And she 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 gets up. She dusts herself off. And she says, uh, "I I win." She's almost certainly a Smirsh agent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really stopping there. 